Okay, Brittany, so we're going to get started now. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Uh, hey, hi. So uh, this week, we got a kind of a short video. So I was thinking, like, let's just take a nice leisurely pace. So we got started late. It's 10.02. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh, let's take a nice leisurely pace. Let's have our announcements and prayer and opening scripture. Let's watch the video. Let's talk about it a little bit. And you know what? If we get done early, there's no children's worship today. So I thought, you know, those of you that need to go retrieve kids, you could go retrieve kids. Or you could just go enjoy a few minutes without your kids. <laughs> so which, that's what... Uh, I'd like to suggest that not be the option because those teachers... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Yeah. Then hurry up and get your coffee and go get your kids. There. Okay. Uh, Brittany, Brittany actually is with the kids today, so she heard you say that. Uh, so. For the sake of Brittany, then, know. let's all go get our kids eventually. Or soon. Okay. Alrighty. Um, I'm going to do the announcements. I, I kind of wanted to start off this morning with a little bit. I mean, how we get together every Sunday morning and we don't often get to just sit and talk about the things from this past week and I kind of thought I wanted to open up the floor and see if there were any scriptures or possibly some spirit led moments that you that that happened to you this past week and and thought we could share them a little bit um, uh, from the past week so if anyone has anything that that stuck out or maybe spoke to them I'd love for us all to hear it that's cool Psalm 63, earnestly I seek you, my soul longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Uh, I just got back from an international mission trip, and so I'm wanting to continue uh, just that constant desire um, in that everything that satisfies me comes from the Lord and that nothing on this earth fully can. And so just meditating on that scripture has been really life-giving to me this week. Thank you. I could say mine. Uh, I've, I've just recently, my wife has been pushing me for ever, ever since we got married uh, two years ago. She's been pushing me to do memory verses, and I've never been one to do memory verses. But I memorized, and she helped me a lot do Psalm 1, and I keep thinking about. Um, meditating on uh, God's law um, I don't mean I guess I don't specifically mean uh, lamentations but uh, I, I keep thinking about the tree planted next to streams of water and, and just how life giving that, that image is and I think in one of my Bibles when I was younger I drew a picture of a, of a guy almost like with roots next to and I I keep thinking about that and, and the life and the, and the hope that it can bring. And, and I find myself when I'm, I think mostly when I'm taking a shower, I say that memory verse to myself. And it's just been uh, nice to actually have that in my life to think about. What? Oh, can I do it? I will give it a shot. Uh, here we go. <laughs> I'm so good at doing it in my mind. Um, okay. Bless. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, I need to. I need to be able to speak it out loud. Um, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the in the way that sinners take, 
nor sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted next to streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Uh, everything that everything he does prospers. Um, the wicked not so. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Um, I think it is uh, sinners where the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Um, nor, oh man, huh? Okay. <laughs> nor sinners in the uh, uh, company of righteous of the righteous. Um, uh, God will look look over the ways of the righteous and. The way of the way of the wicked is leads to destruction. I think that's what it is. I don't know what that's probably a, a smattering of translations, but anyway, there it is. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I will now. I'm going to read uh, some of these announcements that we have um, today. There is a baby shower for uh, Emily Kotora at, uh, from two to four in the north lobby. Emily and Sean are expecting a baby girl and are registered at Target and Pottery Barn. Uh, for kids, not the regular Pottery Barn. Um, August 14th is the Discovery Lunch from 12.15 to 2 p.m. If you're interested in learning more about Otter Creek and what we do here, there's a catered lunch there. Um, uh, child care will be provided for that. Uh, family prayer concerns for this week are Catherine, Catherine Broadway. She has aggressive anacarsinoma cancer. Christine Dillian, um, sister of Martha Brandon, is in rehab after having open heart surgery on July 22nd. And Virginia uh, Ligon, Ligon uh, has a malignant melanoma uh, that has metastasized to lung, brain, and bones. So if you would not mind, uh, bow with me and we will pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we get to gather here and enjoy company with one another, and we get to look into things that angels long to look into and god we get to learn more about you more about your spirit and more about why you came to earth um, to show us how to be truly human to show us how to be your creation and um, to live the way that you created us to live god um, as we watch this video and listen to ray and, and discuss it afterwards we call your uh, spirit to be amongst us and with us and continue on with us god we we love you so much, and we love your son, and thank you so much for his sacrifice, and it's, his, it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen. Oh, you got this. Uh, scripture. <laughs> do you want to do scripture? Oh, sure. <coughs> okay. Uh, today's scripture is Zechariah 9.9. 9. Uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Let's do this part. Nope. The ancient land of Israel is a testimony, an evidence of the greatness of what God did in that country, a testimony to the truth of the words that we find in the pages of the Bible.
following in the footsteps of Jesus on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem, knowing that ahead of him was a cross, is a powerful experience for the modern disciple of Jesus. In this barren wilderness, with its many opportunities for escape, Jesus made a decision to continue walking, to go to the city, and to face the cross. It's in this wilderness where Jesus is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus came through here on his way to die and passed through the same desert in which he was tempted. And he had to be thinking, isn't there some other way? So in a sense, he's even facing a temptation of what should he do? I like to think of those three temptations by the devil were all temptations to Jesus to choose a different battle plan than God's. The only battle plan was for him to go and to give himself. The road Jesus took from Jericho to Jerusalem leads through the Judea wilderness. It comes out of the wilderness on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. On the Sunday before Passover, this road was thronged with people. For this day was a special day. It was Lamb Selection Day. It was the day people came to choose a perfect lamb for the Passover that would soon follow. And among the crowd, riding on a donkey that day, was a lamb. So here we sit, the side of the Mount of Olives, beautiful sunshine, valley spread out below, and there's that whole city, just a bustling, active city. So let's refresh our memories. Jesus' last teaching to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi had to do with Jesus saying to them, we need to confront the very gates of hell. From there, he turned his face toward Jerusalem. In other words, his focus from that point on was going up to Jerusalem, which would result eventually in his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension somewhere right here behind where we're sitting. Came down across from the Jordan and then walked that very narrow canyon road there on the way up from Jericho on up to Bethany and then to this place. I'd like to set the stage for you. According to the book of Exodus, the Sunday before Passover was a very special Sunday. It wasn't just an ordinary Sunday. In a sense, that Sunday was the day that people began to celebrate Passover, we might say. So you have to imagine crowds of people streaming down this hill on their way into Jerusalem because the following week was going to be Passover and people started arriving already on that Sunday. But what made that Sunday important, according to Exodus 12, is that that was the day that each Jewish family picked the lamb that was to die on the following Friday. 
suggesting, I think, that Jesus' descent into Jerusalem along the road here on the side of the Mount of Olives was not simply coming as a triumphant king on a donkey, but it had to do with Jesus showing up to go up to this city to die on the day the Lamb was picked. It's almost as if God said to the world, here's my Lamb. Will you choose him? And I think that's very significant because one aspect of the faith lesson here, to me, is Jesus' very clear statement by the day he chose to come into Jerusalem is to say, have you recognized who I am? But there was something else we need to realize. Passover season was the season of freedom. It was the season that Jewish people celebrated their being liberated from their imprisonment and their bondage in Egypt. And that made it a time when often incidents occurred. Josephus records incidents right here on the Mount of Olives where someone would come, declare himself to be Messiah, and on Passover season would come into the city and cause a riot or a stir, resulting in the Roman garrison coming down out of the Antonia, and a slaughter occurred. So Passover was a time when the Romans brought in extra troops. The people thought extra about the fact that they wanted freedom, they hoped for the Messiah. In fact, there's even a rabbinic tradition that says the temple door was left standing open that day, just in case that's the day the Messiah occurred. And with that in the background, we could turn to the story as it's told in Luke. He approached Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen, maybe particularly the raising of Lazarus. But I want you to notice something. The way Luke writes here, the crowd was quiet. It says when they approached, they began to celebrate loudly, implying that prior to that, they had not been celebrating loudly. Now the impression is that these pilgrims descended into this city in almost silence. Maybe simply because of the danger that if they raised too much of, a, of an outcry about their happiness about being there, it could cause an incident with the Romans. But here comes this Jesus, this Galilean Jewish rabbi that people had been asking, you know, is this possibly the Messiah? He comes here, and the disciples begin joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now, I want you to feel what a risk that was. On the day the Lamb was picked, leading up to the feast of celebration of freedom in anticipation that the Messiah might come. And suddenly, these disciples began to sing and to cheer and to celebrate that Jesus was the one. Matthew tells us what it was they said. Two things Matthew says. One, they shouted, Hosanna. Now, when we sing Hosanna in our churches, we imagine Jesus coming down and this whole crowd 
going ahead of him shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest. That sounds like something very nice to say. But Hosanna was a political statement, more than a religious one. Hosanna meant, deliver me. Give me my freedom. So here are these crowds chanting to Jesus, not Hosanna, this is the Son of God who came to die for our sins, but rather, we're sick of these Romans. Hosanna, save us, deliver us, give us our freedom. And that was about as political as it gets. Now it's in that context that the leaders of the people said, will you hush these people up? Do you realize what could happen if we let them cheer this particular thing? We could be in big trouble. The second thing Matthew mentions is that they wave palm branches. They're coins of the last time that the Jewish people had been free. The time we call the Maccabees or the Hasmoneans used as their nationalistic symbol, a palm branch. Palm branches had nothing to do with peace and love. Palm branches were to a Jewish person of the time what the stars and stripes are to Americans. It was a way of saying, we want our freedom. <coughs> we want deliverance. Now let me, let me just reset that because I want you to feel that because that becomes so important to what we come to next in Luke. The crowd is silent. Why? Because it's a dangerous time. And here comes this Jesus. The crowd sees him, recognizes him as the miracle worker of the Galilee, and begins to chant, Hosanna, save us. Deliver us. Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, Messiah. Of course, Jesus coming from the appropriate direction of east fit that expectation. But the kind of deliverance they're cheering for is not the lamb selection day deliverance, but rather the political kind of deliverance that comes from the king. And then they wave palm branches, almost glorifying the fact they were looking for a national deliverance. And the Pharisees said, Jesus, shut these people up. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. It strikes me that as this Jewish man walked through his life, he had all of the feelings and the attitudes and actions that we do, without sin, of course. And one of the things he did is he cried. And twice in the Bible, we have the record of Jesus crying. And right in the same geographical location. But if we look at the two times he cried, they're really quite different. They happened the same week. The first time is just over the backside of this hill at Bethany. And he comes to this little town, and as he comes, his friends come running out to meet him, Mary and Martha. <coughs> Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I now know that even God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Then comes Mary. Mary comes running out to meet him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. This Greek word for weeping means to sob quietly without any sound. And here was Jesus, 
He already had announced he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he stands with his grieving friends, and he looks around and he sees the hurt, he sees the anguish, he feels the pain, he begins to cry. Quietly, the tears run down his face. And I want you to think of Jesus as that kind of a God. What does God do at funerals? He cries. His great heart feels the hurt that you feel, that I feel. In the ancient world, there was a custom that at funerals, you would pass around a little bottle. You'll see them sometimes. And each mourner would put a tear in the bottle. When each mourner had put a tear in the bottle, you'd seal it up and you'd put it in the tomb with the dead person and then in the next life, the God or whatever could look at the tear bottle and see all the sorrow that had accompanied this person's death. And David says in the Psalms, God, I'm in anguish. Let me put my tears in your bottle. God comes to you in hurting times with a bottle of tears. He cries. And I love that image of Jesus in anguish at these poor friends who had lost their dear brother, two unattached sisters apparently, who had no one in this society to care for them, and now their one male means of support is gone. And weeping at the loss of his beloved Lazarus, and Jesus stood crying. <clears throat> A week later, he came down this hill. In his ears, he could hear the hosannas, save us. With his eyes, he could look around and see the happy, excited people waving palm branches. And it says, he wept aloud over it. Somewhere here, he stopped and began to cry. Aloud. And you can imagine what that crowd thought. We just proclaimed this guy king. But listen to what he says. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, shalom, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build a bank around you, encircle you, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children who are within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize God's time of coming to you. Now, why did Jesus weep? Well, maybe he looked out here and he knew some people would believe in God and some didn't, so he wept that people weren't saved or born again. But I don't think that's the focus at all. I think Jesus came here and he looked at those crowds and he heard the hosannas and he saw the palm branches and he looked into the future and he knew that if they looked for peace in that direction, what was going to happen right down here? He cried out loud that people sought peace in that way. 
that's not where it is. And yesterday we walked through the Herodian mansion and saw the burn marks on the floor. Today we stood by Robinson's Arch among the debris of the fulfillment of that prophecy. If people had recognized Jesus' battle plan and had risen up in force and began to bring that kind of love and peace to the people of this city and this community and this country, that may not happen. Now here's my very personal thought for you and for me as part of this faith lesson. How does Jesus cry for you? Because in a sense, he cries for everyone. If you love him, if he's your friend, he cries with your hurt. If you don't know him, he weeps out loud because you don't know who he is. Why does Jesus cry for me? Does he cry because I hurt? Because of my grief at the loss of someone I love? Or does Jesus weep bitterly for me? Because when he came as the Lamb of God, I missed the point. Let's think about what the faith lesson here would be for us as we look at this event in, in that particular time and setting and cultural place. Could you accept a Messiah whose kingship, whose kingdom came by being a lamb? That to me is the key issue. He came on the donkey and people say Hosanna, which is a political thing, we want a king. They wave palm branches, which is a way of saying we want a king, we want a deliverer. But Jesus came on lamb selection day as a way of saying, yes, I'm the king. But my kingship is going to come like I just told you on the road down there by my being a servant. I'm going to go and give my life. And that will usher in my kingdom. And that brings us back, I think, as part of our faith lesson to say, if we hope to be those who implement the kingdom of Jesus in the culture we live in, there's the method. Okay, uh, 
I was kind of, I admit, I did not know that about uh, the palm branches were a political emblem before Palm Sunday. Uh, so I did a little bit of research on that, and here is actually one of those coins uh, printed by the Hasmonean dynasty with a palm branch on the back of it. And so from what I gathered, what I was reading is it, it was a generally used symbol of Judea, like it would have been in other documents by Romans or Greeks representing Judea, but also, I guess, on coin or in political emblems, you know, in that brief period where the Jewish people had political independence, it was like a nationalist symbol. So that was neat. That was kind of interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so there you go. There's one of them right there. So the, isn't that amazing that you can, these things are still, like you can go look at one of these coins that's 2,400 years old? Gosh. Um, okay, so, yeah, so that was kind of, there was a lot more there that, that felt like faith exploration than, like he didn't really go too many places. He sat on that one porch the whole time. Um, so I've got, I've got one slide we can talk about this element and then we can get a little more serious after that. So certainly Jesus comes in and they're declaring him a king. We want you to be our king. Here's our nationalist symbol. Let's kick the Romans out. We want you to be the Messiah we want you to be. And he's like, it's not really what I'm here to do. Uh, what are some ways, I guess, <laughs> what are some ways that we kind of mold Jesus into our own image of our own agenda in, in our modern world? that thing, I, this isn't exactly how it is, but like, God is always the first draftee of every war, or something along those lines. Yeah, it's... Yeah. For centuries, armies around the world have all invoked his name, mm -hmm. and then they fight one another, and it makes me think of the bumper sticker, um, when Jesus said, love your enemies, I'm pretty sure he didn't mean to kill them. Yeah. Or have they just been plucked over the centuries 
for. Seems some. It also seemed kind of practical. Like they didn't have. They certainly could have made sheets with flags on them with nationalist symbolisms. Blah. But then you know you get caught carrying that thing around. Although you know it, it seemed a little more practical. You had this tree. You could like. <coughs> yeah. When the authorities come by, it's just a tree. I don't. It's right there, kind of thing. You know. Whereas it's a little harder to. Hide a flag, <laughs> Jim flag. Okay. Yes. Well, American Jesus, I think it kind of goes maybe with American Paul as well. Kind of like what well, Jesus was kind of just vague enough on some things that I can't really get it to be what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. But then I can kind of take some of Paul's things that really align strongly. Mm-hmm. Everyone must earn their <clears throat> own or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of gets. Mm. Well, and gosh, I mean, even in the first century, there was different, like Paul's interpretation, Peter's interpretation. I mean, even then, there was figuring out, kind of, kind of, I don't know, turning their words back on themselves to fit an agenda. So I guess, yeah, we, we've been doing it for thousands of years, trying to. Aha, Jesus said do it this way. I think in some ways, uh, because of how our country is started, we, we forget the really dark, negative aspects. But we like to think that maybe God shined upon us and we became almost like the new Israel, the new people of God. Yeah. And, and so we're looking for any, any bit that will support that idea. And for us as... 21st century Christians, we have to be so careful in thinking that that we're part of the plan of God in that way. It's just it's so dangerous for us to assume that he has shifted his eternal plan away from his plan into this is now the new identified people of God. And we need to get back to what we were when we first began. Mm-hmm. I just think that, that's an egotistical perspective mm-hmm. on understanding and I think it's easy to hear that and say, yeah, you're right, that's terrible. But like in our own mind, like, do you really? Like, th- there might be like nearly subconscious prejudices that we have about our elevated place in God's plan. Merck! Have you guys ever, uh, you ever heard about, um, I heard of a small group of Kenyan, um, I mean, Kenyans that were Christian and uh, did short-term mission work to America? Yes. Mm-hmm. And my first reaction when I heard that was, that's ridiculous, why would you come here? And then I was like, no, that 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 is completely my American mentality thought process is like, of course they should be doing it. I mean, it, 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 that, that is yeah, my, my lens. Americans should go over to those people yeah. and help them no. understand. What is that, what's that church in Green Hills that split off away from the 
the Anglican, they're, they're now Anglican, and they're under a bishop in Africa. Does anyone know? Maybe so. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember. But it's something like that, right? There. Mm. Maybe that's it. But I'm not sure if that's it. This comes to mind. You see the His explanation of the use of the word Hosanna and the palm branches totally going to change my view of Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anything about Lamb Selection Day. Right. That he came in on that day. I think I could have looked through my whole life and known. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, mean, yeah. I told you that you were asleep. Maybe, possibly. But I took a lot of notes over those years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Never remember any of that. I saw him dancing before class started. We to watch the video earlier this week, but I can't imagine. Now, now, whenever we sing any song that says Hosanna in it, that's all I'm going to be it's thinking political. about. Like, we're yeah. singing a political song. Yeah. Okay. Where they, they were confused, and it just parallels to my confusion over the years of, oh, Palm Sunday is this, you know, entering in with peace, and right. everybody was so pumped that he was coming in. No, they weren't. They were... Yeah, they're wearing flags, essentially, right? We're so used to the kids' version of <laughs> right. peace and love and welcoming Jesus, exactly. but it was a lot more subversive. Yeah, and our kids holding palm branches. Now I'm going to see, like, torches. And <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, <laughs> well, and, and flags and stuff. And imagine kind of like along those lines of what you were saying, like, last week is, so this is Sunday. They've got the, they got the flags and the torches. Yes. Here we go. We're taking it back. And five days later, they're like, what? Right. Who is this guy? <laughs> the Americanized palms. Yeah, you know. Well, and didn't the families, after choosing the lamb, then correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody knows this, they, they, the family then welcomed the lamb into their house and it stayed in their house for a week. And then they killed it at the end of the week. And so all the children, I mean, that would be like, so sad. You become attached to this sweet little perfect <coughs> lamb. And I think that was. I mean, obviously it was made to hurt a little bit. You're now become attached to this and kill it. It makes it a sacrifice. Yeah. I'm glad that I wasn't born any earlier in history than when I was. <laughs> I mean, I like history. It's, but, ugh. Oh, it's, I think part of this reminds me that there's nothing new under the sun. What our country is experiencing right now is not new. Those people were doing that out of fear. Mm -hmm. We're doing a lot of things now out of fear. Um, and we have the whole story. They didn't, right? Um, they did in a sense, but they couldn't see the whole story. And we can't, and we're still doing that, right? So it's just interesting to me that you might cry for the same, you know? What is the reason that he weeps for us now? Because those reasons probably have changed. Mm -hmm.
not so suddenly the things in my life made me realize that you're in that. And I, you know, all the stuff around you that you take credit for is, is worthless. Uh, or you're, you're not the cause of that, I guess is, is, is a better way to say that. And then I look at, it, it caused me to challenge myself as to what's important, what are the priorities. Is God the God I created, or is God who God says he is? Mm -hmm. And you know, to me, it causes you to question, what's your prize at the end? In the comment he made on the videos, are you willing to follow a God who showed up as the lamb? real day and time where it's the Olympics none of us are cheering to be in last place right and you know we like the story of somebody who struggled to get there and then win <laughs> in our definition of win yes God's definition of win is much more longer term yes than any one thing our definition is our long term definition is our lifetime amen and it's said in a lot of places I can't tell you where but it, you know it's blinking an eye that's caused me to question myself as to is my goal the right goal the only way it is if it's aligned it is uh -huh. well I gotta get up and go to work and put food on the table and I make a lot of excuses as to why I need to do these things and not bad excuses just that if that's my ultimate priority and, and I used to think I had it all figured out uh, and then got the things in my way that kind of were reminders. And the further in the distance those reminders get, the more I think I've got it all figured out again. Uh -huh. And then I kind of literally look in the mirror and go, you better recognize something. If he's going to put another one of those obstacles in your way, you want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, to me, it's it causes me to question what race am I in. Right. And it's a very personal thing. Am I in this to be successful by my definition of success, to have a good family by my definition of a good family, to raise good kids by my definition, or is it to further the kingdom? Uh -huh. And I found in times of my life when I'm doing work to further the kingdom, one, I'm happier, I'm more satisfied. But if I was looking at the definitions I had four or five years ago, they may not, may not be synced up. Uh -huh. And then I rewind or I full circle and think I've got it all figured out again and the roadblocks and the crap you gotta deal with and I lose sight and to me when I start thinking about who's defining Jesus ultimately he was a lamb that nobody understood and people denied and in that way we're not alone and we're not really on a mm -hmm. good place either mm -hmm. and to me I gotta constantly question finish line is not the American finish line. Uh -huh. And the goal is not the American goal. And whoever's president is secondary to whoever's God. And That's a whole other set of good points. Is, is when you're worried about all these things, remember you are here. It's a picture of like solar system universe and then an arrow into this one little pinpoint. You're like, <laughs> um, so what race yeah. am I running? Yeah. It challenges me. That's awesome.
We are actually, thank you guys for a great discussion. discussion. Yeah, I thought we were going to get out early, but we had a great discussion. Um, I actually, we're, we're right at time, and Brittany, I don't want to leave you stuck there. Uh, so everybody go get your kids and have a great Sunday. Thank you guys so much. Okay. Bye, Brittany. Have a good week.